All right, well, good morning. Hope you guys are doing well, staying warm, out of the wind. We're glad you guys are here. Uh, it's great to see you. Um, I want to add my welcome uh, and just uh, yeah, say thanks for being here. And if you're online, join us online. We're glad you guys are, are with us uh, as well. Um, this, uh, this weekend, uh, we, um, as a campus, were able to, um, as a church, we're able to uh, host um, the EFCA's Northern Plains District. Uh, so I wanted to show you this picture. I just want to let you guys know, um, if you didn't know, that this was happening this last weekend. So our staff was here Thursday, Friday, uh, and Saturday um, hosting uh, churches from around our district. So North uh, Dakota, South Dakota, uh, some of Minnesota, and then some uh, even Montana, I think, and so uh, about maybe half or maybe a little bit more were able to make it because of the weather, but uh, you can just see a few people here gathered, and it was just a tremendous um, opportunity. It was really, really fun. It was neat to meet people and get connected, um, and I just selfishly, I want to spotlight uh, the staff uh, who just sacrificed and served like crazy. It was really, really neat to see, and so I just want you guys to know that if you see them, please say thank you. So they just did a great, great, great job. So um, this... Um, oh, uh, you know, one of the things I was thinking about in light of, in light of this weekend and kind of moving uh, towards this afternoon where I inevitably, I know that I'm going to crash, <laughs> okay? Uh, long week and uh, Genesis uh, uh, Invitational Golf is on and I will want to watch that and crash. And here's the reality. When I get home, I know that listening is going to be a struggle for me, <laughs> okay? Uh, does anybody here um, struggle with listening? Here's the good news, you're not the people who struggle with listening. <laughs> um, like here's the, this, the reality is that like we just, we, we struggle, every single one of us, we struggle in our own hearts uh, with listening because here's what I, I know is gonna happen. I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna be tired and just in full transparency, I'm gonna go home, I'm gonna be tired and I'm gonna open the door and here's what's gonna happen. My dog is gonna run to me and jump on me. And it's, it's kind of weird right now because she's wearing one of those cones, you know, uh, because she had like a, little, like a little shave part and she kept licking it, so we, we put it on and so she makes all this rattle and noise coming to you. It's like clunk, 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 clunk all the way around the house and hits everything that she can and then she jumps on you, right? And she's going to want my attention. And as soon as Eden hears that, she's going to run and find Dada, 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 and she's going to want my attention. And then Nikki, my wife, uh, who deserves all of my attention, is going to want to know what's for, what, what we're doing for lunch. And, and I know inevitably in that moment, I'm going to have a hard time listening. Right? Because what happens is just, just in sheer context, there's so many things happening. Like you pet the dog, and then you, and then you grab Eden, you know, and then you're trying, and then you're like answering somebody over here, and then Eden wants to be picked up, and then the dog jumps, and then you're like, you're holding everything, and, and this is, it's just like, it's the battle, right? And you have to, you have to ask yourself this question, like, who am I going to pay attention to right now? Like, how does this work? And the reality is, is that because of the sheer context, it's just, it's just challenging. And I know that I'll probably carry Eden in, and then I'm going to step on Legos, and then I'm going to shout, and, you know, it's like all these things. Like, listening and actually hearing somebody is incredibly hard. And if we're honest with ourselves, at the end of every single day, listening, and I mean truly listening to another human being, is one of the hardest things you'll ever do. 
It's one of your dear hardest daily challenges is just understanding, hearing what somebody else is saying and truly processing who they are, where they're coming from, and what they're saying. Right? And there's two challenges. The first challenge is this, um, is, is this, is because of the context, right? everything else that's going around. So the challenge is this, is if you truly want to know what another person is saying, if you truly want to know what another person is saying, you have to make their voice louder than everything that's going on around you. Right, that's the first challenge. So whether that's the TV, that's another person, a dog, music, whatever it is, I have to make that person's voice louder and I have to choose to listen to it. The second challenge is much deeper and messier and it's this, if I truly want to hear where another person is coming from, what they're saying and processing it, I need to make sure that their voice is louder than the voice inside of me. Because at every moment, and in any given moment, what's happening in here is a whole lot of self-talk. There's emotions, there's sin, there's grief, there's joy, there's, there's things that I'm thinking about that I want to think about. And I have to choose, if I want to hear that person, I have to choose to listen to that person over what's being said even in my own heart. And that's an incredibly challenging. It's an incredibly difficult task. And if we were to be honest, we, well, <laughs> I guess I would say it would be better off, we would all be better off if each and every one of us, myself included, just admitted to everybody else that the person that we think about most in life is ourself. But there is just this reality that this is part of the way that the human being works, is that we have these challenges. And hearing people is an incredibly difficult task. So if it's, if it's hard to hear other people, we know that it's hard to hear God, right? We know that that's hard. And what we're going to talk about today is hearing, right? But before, but before we kind of, before we kind of uh, get uh, to um, that point, I want to say something positive, because this is, this is true. Jesus knows all of this about humanity. This is very positive news. Jesus understands how the human heart works because he created us, and he knows exactly what's happening here. Uh, he knows what's happening here, right? There's this, there's this truth. That's very, very good news uh, for us. Um, and what's interesting about Jesus is that Jesus uh, communicated to people who needed to hear the way that he communicated was often through stories. And I've learned this at periods of different times in my life, and it's a fascinating thing but that the human brain processes information best in the form of story. It retains information best in the form of story. Um, and so what that means is like if Jesus were to enter into the kingdom, if he were to enter into the world and he just gave everybody a list of everything, here's what you need to know, guess what? You're gonna forget that content pretty quickly. And so what he did in his brilliance is he created these things called parables, and it's these fictional stories that became the conduit, really, the vehicle for how Jesus shared truth with his people, and they've been passed down the generations, and he uses characters and, and moments and experiences to actually communicate with people so that they are actually forced to listen about what he is saying. Um, and I know that we're in this series in Jeremiah um, called For This City. So that's not lost on me. Um, so you're like, why are we talking about Jesus? Well, Jesus is part of every story, by the way. Um, but because Jesus is the creator in this sense, like we, we, I think, would benefit from stepping out of Jeremiah, at least for this first piece, to understand what is Jesus' perspective on hearing. 
And what is his perspective on communicating uh, in these parables? So if you remember, there's this story. Um, it's in Mark 4. It's, this is a parable. It's kind of the king of all parables. Um, and, it, and it's that, and I describe it that way because it's, it's Jesus' parable about why he explains or why he uses parables. It's Jesus' story about why he uses stories, okay? So this is very significant to understand the teachings and the ways uh, of Jesus. And there's a story. So as it goes, um, Jesus is actually walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, uh, and he begins to be followed by this massive crowd. And this crowd just begins to build and build and build. Well, how do you communicate? How do you talk to this massive crowd without a microphone? You need some form of amphitheater, um, which he didn't have. So what does he do? He gets on a boat, and then he pulls back out in, in the midst of this large lake, and he speaks over the water. And it's, he's using the water as this natural amplifier, and it goes out, and he can, he's able to teach this massive crowd. And it's brilliant, and it's, it's just super interesting, because Jesus is going to use, he's creating a natural amphitheater to tell a story about hearing to understand about communicating. And he stands in this boat and he teaches the story. Here's the story. Um, he says there's this farmer, right? And the farmer goes out to sow some seed. Like he's gonna, throw, he's gonna uh, throw some seed so that he can grow his crops. And so doing, as he's walking, some of that seed falls on a path, right? And as he does that, there's this bird that swoops in and snatches the seed and away it goes, seed is no more. It's in the tummy of the bird, okay? Um, next thing that happens is that he's scattering seed, and, and it goes maybe off of the path and maybe into a rocky area. And it's in this rocky area that it begins to grow, right? But because it's rocky, the roots can't go down, and so it has no moisture. It can't get that. So as it grows, it doesn't have what it needs. The sun comes out. It withers. It dies. Seed is no more. Um, third seed, he, he sows and throws, and it actually maybe goes off the path and maybe over the rocks or wherever it is to grandma's house we go, um, and it goes, and here it is in a bush, and it's a thorn bush, and it grows up into this thorn bush, but as it grows, the thorns choke it out and it dies, seed is no more. But there's this one seed that he, as he sows, it happens to go in good soil. And it's in this good soil that it begins to grow and produce fruit the way that it's supposed to. And Jesus, he ends the story in verse 9 of, of Mark 4, and he says this. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. End of story. End of story. <laughs> I want you to imagine um, if you are the people in the crowd, Jesus is standing in this boat and he's teaching and there's people, uh-huh, uh-huh. He stopped talking. Why did, why did he stop talking? Where, what's the, where's the rest of the story? <laughs> this is like watching a movie. How many of you guys would pay $15 maybe other than just to go take a nap in those wonderful recliners, okay? But how many of you would pay $15 to go to a movie and then for it just to stop halfway through. Would anybody do that? <laughs> no, right? This is, this is what Jesus does. Like he, he throws it out there and he stops and there's no more. There's, there's no more story uh, to this. And Jesus is known for this. This is the end of it. How would you like it? Um, how would you like it if Jesus were your senior pastor? Because every single Sunday you would leave this place doing this. Huh? 
Did, did you understand what Jesus was saying, right? Did you understand? Like every single Sunday, this is what Jesus does. He, he doesn't answer people's questions very well. He, he sets up these parables, and he's like, here you go. Enjoy. Right? Have fun. Right? This is, this is what he does. He's so known for this. And this is hard for us as humans because as humans, we long for clarity. We live in a culture that says to be unclear is to be what? Unkind. Jesus, you're not very kind in these moments. Why? You're not being very clear. What's happening here in this moment? You're being very unkind. And yet, this is what Jesus does. You see, we long for information. We long to know the ins and outs, the ins and outs, and yet Jesus oftentimes left people hanging. He, often, he always left people with more questions than they had answers, right? Uh, and this is what's interesting. So Jesus, what he's doing, these, these parables are designed, um, is that Jesus enters into the human sphere, right? Uh, and he takes all of the preconceived ideas that we as humans have about the world, which he can do. He knows this because he knows the human heart, he knows the human brain, right? Because he created us. So, so he enters in, he takes all of those nice little neat things, he puts them into a box, and then he blows it up. Because what he's doing, he's short-circuiting the, these, these circuits in, in our brain, right? This is, this, is, this is what Jesus does. Because here's the reality, is if Jesus were to enter onto the scene, if Jesus were to enter onto the scene, and he said exactly what you expected him to say, would you remember it? Probably not. It's the very fact that Jesus doesn't say what you expect him to say that leaves you wondering, what in the world did he mean by that? Why, what is it that he's doing? And how does what he just said challenge my perception on reality? And see, what Jesus is doing in these parables is, remember, there's this, this kingdom and then there's the heavenly kingdom. And the heavenly kingdom is, is blending. Jesus is blending this into our kingdom. And so what he's doing in this is he's, in some sense, invading. And so it's asking ourselves this question. As Jesus is engaging in parables, it's like we, as listeners, have to ask ourselves this question. Do I want Jesus to invade my world? Do I want Jesus to invade and take part in every single space of my mind and of my heart? Do I want that, or do I not want that? And the reality is, is that most people don't. Most people don't want that. It's far too much of a risk, which is evidenced by what happens even in this story. Because remember, it's this massive crowd, but check this out, what happens in verse 10, right? When he was alone, there's this group of people, those who were around him with the 12 disciples, they asked him about the parables. Notice who's not there, the rest of the crowd, which means that the rest of the crowd went away doing this. Huh? But it's this core group of people who, who come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, what in the world did you mean? What is going on here? And it's Jesus' response. He says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, for the people who keep leaving, everything is in parables. Why? He goes on. So that they may indeed see but not perceive, that they may indeed hear but not understand. You see, that they're not hearing. 
because they're not engaging. They're not dialoguing with Jesus about this, lest they should turn. If they did, if they proceed, if they engage, they would be able to turn and be forgiven. But he said, if you, he says, do you not understand this parable? If you don't understand this parable, how in the world are you going to understand the rest of them? Because this is the first parable I'm giving you, right? And so if you don't understand this one, what makes you think you're going to get anything else that I say? And that might sound strange and mean and hard, but what Jesus is saying is, guys, throughout the course of my time with you, I'm going to be teaching these things, and I want you to come back and let's engage in dialogue over and over and over. So listening is not just listening. There's this true, deep, internal listening where I have to make Jesus's voice or God's voice louder, not only just around what's everything out here, but it needs to be louder than everything that's happening in here. And so this is the perception of Jesus and how he teaches us about hearing. So if we jump back into Jeremiah chapter 11, what we're going to find is that there's this dialogue between God and Jeremiah, right? God has these words for the people, and Jeremiah has to agree to these terms, but then on top of that, he's going to engage in dialogue, which by the way, just as a reminder, I want you to listen and hear the word here over and over in these passages, because in God's word to his people throughout the prophet is predicated on the fact that we need to hear it. And not just hear it, but hear it and respond and talk to God in the midst of it, if that makes sense. Chapter 11, uh, verse 1, here's what it says. It says, the word came, the, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, hear that word. The words of this covenant, we'll unpack that in a second, uh, and speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, cursed be the man who does not hear, the word again, the words of this covenant that I commanded to your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, listen, it's the same word as hear, hear or listen to my voice and do all that I command you. So shall you be my people and I will be your God that I may confirm the oath that I swore to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as at this day. Then Oh, I'm going I'm to cut it there. I'm going to leave that part um, for later. So there's this question, right? What is it that God wants uh, Jeremiah to hear? Uh, and it's really around the, the, the framework and the theology, the idea of this, this word called uh, a covenant. And so what we're going to do is that we're going to shift from this idea of listening being incredibly hard. Not only is it incredibly hard, now we need to be very careful about listening carefully to what God is going to explain to Jeremiah, because what he wants to know is that between, he says, Jeremiah, I have words to give to other people, but I need to know that you and I are on the same page first, okay? So he's, he's talking about this idea of a covenant with Jeremiah, okay? So, covenant. A uh, covenant is, is, a fun, is a fun word. Um, in English, uh, we probably think about maybe like a marriage covenant or uh, kind of like a contract or something like that. Uh, in Hebrew, uh, the word for covenant is the word barit. And, and barit simply means this. It means to cut. And so that's my fancy scissors. <laughs> um, so it means to cut. And you're like, why in the world? Why in the world is that the case? 
Like, what, what, what does that really look like? Well, here, this is, this is what's happened, okay? Um, in order to establish a covenant uh, with somebody like a king or between a king and a vassal or a, a ruler and a sub-ruler, all that stuff, they would establish these covenants. And what they would do is that they would take these uh, anim- um, animals, I'm going to do the best I can here. This is my nice cow, <laughs> the front half of the cow, and then they would take the back half. Right? They would take a cow and they would cut it in half. And you're like, what is going on here? Why in the world is this the case? Like, this seems weird, it seems odd, it seems gross. And you're like, yeah, it is. Who does this? The people in the ancient Near East did this. Um, and this is what God used to, to deal with his people. And so in the very, very long ago, there's this guy named Abraham, and uh, he called him out of the land of Ur and said, Abraham, I want to build this great nation out of you. Um, and he takes this covenant with Abraham. And so they cut these animals, uh, and the idea is then that they have to walk in between the animals. Uh, A covenant is built on two primary things. It's built on the blessings and the curses, okay? Uh, So maybe as you're walking through these things, one half of the animal represents the blessings and the other half represents the curses. So it's kind of like as you're going through this, you're reminded that, that on one side, I'm reminded that if I am obedient and if this relationship goes well, there will be blessings, But if I am disobedient, right, then there will be curses. And this is the way covenant was built. And so God asks Abraham to do this, but in so doing, what he actually does is he causes Abraham to fall into a deep sleep. Uh, he, He goes to sleep, and then God, symbolically, he walks in between these animals, and it's like a pot of, of like a pot of fire and flame, and he goes through this. And God says, Abraham, here's what I want you to know about this. This covenant is not rooted in you. This covenant is rooted in me. So if I, what God is saying here, is that if I, God, ever fail, if I ever break this covenant, then I am not God. The good news is, is that God can't break covenants. Like, he can't do that, and we'll talk about that later, right? But he takes this upon himself, and so that's, that's the first covenant. And there's many covenants throughout the, throughout the Old Testament, but later on, there's this thing called the, the Exodus. They come, out, um, they come out of Egypt. They eventually make it to Mount Sinai, and what does God do? God gives them these Ten Commandments, Right? And these commandments then act as this initial boundaries or the guidelines for what happens or what might happen if there's blessings or curses. Um, and so this is the case, right? Which, by the way, if you look this back up in Deuteronomy 5 and 6, you'll find that the beginning of this where God says, hear, there's that word again, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall. So again, this entire thing is predicated on hearing over and over and over. And then later on, under this same ruler, Moses, what happens is he says, eventually, God is going to lead you into the promised land. And when you get there, there's going to be these two mountains. Um, and these mountains, um, I want six of you to be on this side, and then I want six of you guys to be on this side. And what's going to happen is that you guys are going to restore or kind of repractice or renew the covenant, Right? And it's like you can see this, this theme continuing right, of these ideas of blessings and curses. So check this out in, in Deuteronomy 27. Here's what it says. 
It says, Then Moses and the, Le- and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. I love that personal intimacy. Like this day you become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord. Here's the stipulations, right? You are his people, therefore, this is the covenant, you shall obey the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. He goes on. That day, Moses charged the people, saying, when you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim. So that's one of the mountains. Uh, These are just north of Shechem. You can look it up on a map. Um, To bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin, right? Those six tribes. But then these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice. So what he says is is that as these people are standing on these mountains, one mountain represents the blessings, one mountain represents the curses, kind of like you're walking in between the valley, you're being reminded of this covenant that that God himself walked through. And then he gives them 12 different curses, um, which is is interesting. Uh, And I just want to read three of them for you, this top one, because these are all directly connected to Jeremiah. First one. Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman and sets it up in secret. So what is he talking about? He's talking about idolatry, right? Uh, And here's what the people say. In one loud voice, together they shall answer and say, amen. Do you you see what's happening here? God says, if you enter into the land... And if you set up idols, guess what the consequence will be? The blessings are going to be no more, and you will be cursed. And the people say, yes, we acknowledge. If we do that, we are to blame. We are the ones, okay? Next slide. I'm going to read this next one. Top one, cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, right? Does that sound familiar in Jeremiah? Idolatry, injustice, absolutely. All the people, they say what? Amen. If we do that, if we practice injustice, we shall be cursed. We get it. Let it be so. Amen. Last one. If you look in this bottom one, cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say amen. Right? So this was set up a long time before they actually even get into, into the promised land, right? Right? And so what God's doing, he's reminding them, he's reminding them these are the stipulations of, of, what's, of what this covenant is. And I want us to be really clear here for a second because um, oftentimes we think of blessings and curses and we think through the Old Testament and we think that the Old Testament is then built on like works. Like if I don't do good things, then I can't be saved. It's the New Testament that offers grace by faith. That's not true. Grace has always been the case because with the Abrahamic covenant, right, There is no law yet. And so Paul points this out in Galatians. He says it's it's because faith was far further before the law, right? So it's always been about grace by faith for salvation. But in the Old Testament, how you experience this covenant relationship is based on obedience or disobedience. And there's either blessings or there's curses. 
So it's always been about grace. So just to be clear, right? But what God is saying in this moment is, is he's looking at Jeremiah. He says, these are the words that I want you to be able to speak to people, but I don't want you just to be like, like an echo of my voice. I want to know that you've wrestled with these words and that you yourself agree. Don't just go say, these are my words. I want these words to come from your heart because you agree that you and I, Yahweh and Jeremiah, are on the same page. That's what he's saying. He's setting up. He's setting up this between him and Jeremiah, right? And you think about this, um, because you need to make sure, if you're Jeremiah, you need to make sure what you're agreeing to. So like if I come home, uh, like if I come home today and if Nikki asks me a question and, and I don't perceive that she's asking me a question, but I say, uh-huh, right, I might realize 10 minutes later that I just answered a question that I have no idea what I answered. So tomorrow she might expect that I shave my beard. <laughs> and then she might say, Why? Why is your beard? What do you mean? Because <laughs> I was listening, but I wasn't really listening, right? And, and we think about this. Words have powerful meaning in different contexts, right? And so this is very important. So if you hear like the words I do, for example, somebody walks into a room and says, hey, does anybody have a piece of gum? And you say, I do. That's one thing, right? You should have it. You drink way too much coffee today. I can smell you from over here, like your mouth, right? You should have this. I do. I have one. Take it. Um, but if you're standing in front of an altar, <laughs> and you're dressed up, and the other person is dressed up, and the person to your right says, in sickness and in health, blah, 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 if you do, say, I do. And you say, I do. Guess what? You had better know what you're committing to. The difference, the same words, Two different contexts makes a huge difference to say, I do. Because the last thing is that you want Jeremiah, what God wants of Jeremiah in this moment is for him to say, God, I agree, let it be so, and then later on go, wow, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Right? And yet what Jeremiah says at the end of this, as God walks him through, he walks him through this covenant, Jeremiah, are you and I on the same page? Jeremiah's response is this, amen, let it be so. God, you and I, we're on the same page here. I may not understand it, but you and I are on the same page. And God's response to Jeremiah is this, I'm glad to hear that. Here's the next steps. I want you to go into all of the streets of Jerusalem and tell everybody you come across. <laughs> and here's how he describes his people, is that they're, they're, they're raising up in rebellion, raising up in mutiny. And so I want you to go tell every person. Which, by the way, I haven't said this yet, but at this time, there are lots of prophets who are constantly saying, peace, 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 peace. Over and over, they're saying peace. Jeremiah, they're saying, they're saying nothing is wrong. We don't need to be worried. Jeremiah is the only person saying there's a huge problem. And God says, I want you to go into the streets and tell every single person. And I think if that were you or I, like there comes a point where you just hit this, this kind of breaking point uh, where you have to ask some questions, right? And Jeremiah, it's like Jeremiah goes, okay, just keep in mind that there's this tension. He says, I agree. Let it be so. Amen. But God, I want to talk to you about this. I have some questions that I need to wrestle through right? I have some questions I need to wrestle through. And his primary question is the question of why. 
Why, 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 God, are you allowing this stuff to happen? And guys, here's what I would say, is that every single morning, we, or every single day, like we're designed for the garden, and every single night, we go to bed in a desert, and guess what? We wake up in a desert, and then we go to bed in a desert, and we wake up, because we, this is the cycle that we live in, over and over and over. We live in a broken world, and in a broken questions, there, in a broken world, there will always be questions. Why in the world did God allow us to go through one and a half years of pandemic turmoil, I don't know. But I should be able to say amen. I should be able to say let it be so, right? But there's still these questions. Why did God allow this? Um, I remember um, when I was in college, um, I don't remember what year it was, I was, I was going with a friend and, and his girlfriend to her house for Thanksgiving because I couldn't make it home. And, uh, and so I remember we're driving, I was talking to my mom because this is like when cell phones just came out, okay? Um, and so we're driving and I see this, this stoplight up in front of us and I see it turn yellow and I thought, oh, we'll stop. And then I felt the, the, the lurch of the car and I was like, oh, we're going for it. I was like, there's no way we're gonna make it. There's no, and this is what I'm thinking, I'm processing in this moment, there's no way. But the car in the other lane must have thought we were gonna stop, and so they turned, and I watched, it's like one of the few times in life where it's like slow motion, like envelops you, and you're like, no, and the phone flies, and we hit, and the car spin, and everybody was fine, right? But it's in that moment, you're dazed, and I'm like, oh, I was talking to my mom, where's my phone, where's the, where's, hey, mom, I was just in a car accident, see you later. It's like, I was like in a moment of trauma, and I probably just set my mom into trauma, you know? Like, it's, it's weird. I learned this at, at this NPD conference this week, and I thought this is absolutely fascinating, is that when you are in trauma, there's a membrane in your ear that enlarges. And what it does is that it blocks out as much sound as it can around you so that your body can focus in on the trauma in front of you. And it's the way that your body works in these things. Here's what's so interesting about this last year and a half of everything that's happened. You remember that moment when you found out that the nation was shutting down and you're like, wow, I've never seen this before. And then like two weeks later, you're like, it's only going to last two weeks. And then you found out it's going to last a month. And then at some point in that process, you're like, this is not going away. Do you remember that moment? And it's like, it's like you went through trauma. Like, life is no longer the same. And then there was George Floyd, and then there was political unrest, and then there was all these other things. And it keeps unfolding. And before you know it, you've got all these layers of trauma. And here's what happens, and I didn't realize this. Here's what happens. When your brain experiences too much trauma, it stops functioning, and it can no longer take new information. And what happens is that I've been trying to deal with all of the process and steps of each layer of trauma, right? But because each keeps getting added and added and added, I'm constantly trying to go backwards and figure out where I'm at in each of these processes. And the reality is my brain says I can't do it anymore. And so what it does is it shuts down and it sits in an area and it says, this is where I'm going to stay. Because your brain can't do it. Here's, here, you're like, why do, why do you tell me that? Here's the first reason. Um, we're coming out of that trauma season a little bit. It's going to take time, lots of time to come out of that. But the first thing is this. Would you allow the membrane of your heart to push out all the other sound and allow for one voice, and that's God's? Would you make that the case? 
Would we make that the case? Second reason I tell you this is to give yourself grace and to give everybody else grace because we're all just stuck somewhere in this process. Our brains just can't quite handle everything that's happening. And what Jeremiah goes before God is he laments before God and he begins to plead his case before God. Here's what he says in verse 12, or chapter 12. It says, righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Has anybody asked that question in the last year and a half? Yeah, right? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. You see, he's pleading his case before God over and over. And it's like Jeremiah looks at God and says, here, God, I acknowledge that you are righteous, okay? But there's something that's not computing for me as a person. And so as Jeremiah is looking, he's, he's thinking, as he's thinking about God, he's going, there's, there's things happening here that I just don't quite understand. We don't understand what, the way that God works in these moments. And so if we were to talk about God, just, just very briefly, you could, you could categorize God's attributes under these two big things, moral and non-moral. Not to be confused with amoral because that would be bad, okay? Moral, moral. How about this one? Love. Is God love? Absolutely. That's one of his attributes. How about uh, this one? Uh, kindness. Is that one of his? It's immoral, right? Mercy is another one, right? And here's, another, here's this final one. This is the idea of holy, right? Because God is without sin, and so therefore there's this moral quality. But it's not just that he has these qualities, right? He also has these other qualities, like this. He's the idea of power, right? He's, he's unlimited power. He has this idea of knowledge. He knows all of these things, right? That's, that's true. Um, he also has control, right? There's this idea that he is sovereign. Not only does he have power, he, has ex- he exercises that power in this sovereign way to control. And then again, here's this other one. That's the same thing, right? Holy. And because this means that he is set apart. He is like no other. So if we were to join, guys, these two things together, we might put this common theme of holy up here. Because what this is indicating is that God is without sin. He's also set apart, which means that there is no God ever, forever, wherever like God is set apart. It's incredible. It's amazing. But not only that, Right? Because we have these questions about how do these things work together. God is perfect. And when I say perfect, what I mean is this, is that these attributes, when these attributes are always in perfect alignment. Even when we don't understand the way that this works, this is how it works. These are always in perfect alignment. And so, but as you look at this, you say, well, where does Jeremiah fit in this story? Like, where does wrath and judgment, because it seems like God is enjoying this, right? You look at this sometimes, you think, gosh, is God fair in doing this? Well, the reality is, is that because God is holy and because he is perfect, he has to operate out of this. He has to punish sin, 
Wrath is not an emotion, right? It's not how God responds uh, emotionally to sin. It's just how he treats sin. And it's something that we experience in this realm, even though it's not an attribute, we experience wrath and judgment in this gray area because this is where sin, this is the collision between God's moral attributes and his non-moral attributes. There's this collision, and we experience God in different ways that we don't always understand, and judgment and wrath is one of those. But remember that Jeremiah is not just dealing with simple sin here. The reason why this major, massive thing is happening is because he's dealing with something much deeper, and that's idolatry, down deep. But here's the good news, right? If God is working out here, because he is perfect and because these are always in perfect alignment, it also means that his love and compassion and mercy is also working. And the reality is, is that we don't always know what this looks like, because this is a gray area for us, especially for Jeremiah. But what we'll find out in Jeremiah 31, which is what we're covering on Easter, is that there's a very special moment in which this all gets worked out perfectly, and it's in this. And this is how God executes justice in the world. It's how he's able to punish sin and yet at the same time welcome people back. Because at the center of the story, this entire story which has been predicated on hearing over and over and over is not that God is out to get people or that he's just being wrathful. At the whole time he's saying, if you just come back, come back, come back over and over and over again. Guys, this is the story that we live in, and we ask this question over and over. We say, why, God, why, why? Here's the reality. Uh, Later on, he, he asks a different question. He says, how long? And I think how long is a better question because what how long does is it exposes the, the, the selfishness in our hearts. Because the moment in life when that problem ceases to exist, you know which question you're not going to ask anymore? Why? Because you're not going to care. Because it's going to be gone and done and you'll be happy. How long is a much better question for us to ask? And God, what he does is he finishes with this lament because Jeremiah says, here's my lament before you. And God finishes, he says, here's my lament. My people have broken my covenant. It wasn't me. I love my people so much. I've been constantly calling them back, but it's the stubbornness of their hearts that keeps getting in the way over and over. I'm gonna leave you guys with a couple of applications. And the first one is this. Where do I struggle with listening to other people? Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a certain environment. Um, it's, listening is very hard. Hearing other people over the, the voices around us and over the voice in our own heart is just challenging. So just admitting it, where do I struggle with that? Second question. Are there any conversations with God that you're avoiding? Because what we need in these moments is to enter back in. We need to truly listen. Like Jeremiah, we need to listen very carefully. Say, God, what are you saying? Do I want God and Jesus to invade my whole world, even if I don't understand, but am I willing to say, let it be so? Third question, am I known as a complainer to others or as one who laments to God? Because complaining 
is, is just this sideways energy that keeps going around to other people. Lament, as Jeremiah laments, is distinct for two things. It's directed to God, and at the end of the day, he also can say, let it be so. And that's the distinction. This week, would you pray, um, pray with me? As just as a congregation, I would ask you guys to pray um, over this, this group of people, uh, Fargo, Moorhead, city workers, fire, police, uh, people who work on roads, all these, these people. I'm saving medical people for later. But here's why, because these people are working tremendously hard to bring justice into the world, and they are under a lot of fire, and we need to pray for them. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we, as we wrap up our time uh, this morning, I pray that we would remember and acknowledge that, that you are not a wrathful God in the sense that this is the way that you long to be. It's something that we experience in this world because of the consequences of the covenant being broken. And so I pray for us as, as God's people, as your people, that the membrane of our heart, because we're going through all of this trauma, that the membrane of our heart would begin to block out all of the noise around us so that we can focus in on the voice that matters, the voice that calls us to the cross, the voice that calls us to unity, the voice that calls us to, to grace and forgiveness. And so that I pray that together we would just humbly admit our need for you. We love you. Amen.